0: For you. Get me a copy. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me three. Go to the station, get your own copies. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rules, So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw and today is a Tuesday, January the 6th. I always say that January is just a whole month of Mondays, but at least at least I get Tuesdays. I'm recovering from a trip to Texas trying to get my wits about me once again. I was a uh <clears throat> I would say, scared witless while I was there. It's not that, you know, that it's any different. Uh, it's just that, you know, it's more so, yes, yes, it's more so, even than it is here, the kind of feeling of existential dread. I picked up my little copy of a book by Leonard Roy Frank called Wit, I have been reading some of his stuff to you. He has an almanac in the local street spirit called Poor Leonard's Almanac, in which he gives you, oh, you know, the clever things that are said. And it's a Random House reference book called Wit. And I was trying to read it last night, but I don't really feel all that witty. Today I'm looking at Margaret Mead, the anthropologist. Margaret, 1901 to 1977, Margaret Mead said, Always remember that you are absolutely unique, just like everyone else. (laughs) And there's another one here by Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin said, We're all in this together by ourselves goddess knows that's true I gave this little book to a young woman who was having her 18th birthday there in Texas Um, I guess she's a uh, she's my daughter-in-law's niece so I guess she's a kind of relative I gave her the little book by Leonard Roy Frank that is titled Wisdom and i did it for of course egotistical reasons because it quoted me on the back and of course it misquoted me and uh the quote that was on that in that book was um, uh let's see it was we see things not as they are but as we are uh, unfortunately they had misquoted me saying um we see things as we are, not as they are, which of course muddies the works <laughs> it's it's hopeless, folks, but I actually, when I gave her the book, I wrote in the margin there um, just to to sort of lighten the mood uh, I wrote things as they are are not played upon a blue guitar. I hope that eighteen can appreciate a line like that, ho. Oh, I think, actually, um, the difficulty, folks, is that uh, everything we see depends on where we sit, how we perceive, you know. Um, they used to call this, what we used to talk about a psychological set, which could get me to uh, George Bush, but I'll let that go for now. I have a wonderful note here from a listener, She sent me a a lovely little uh, gift and card for Christmas. And she, on the outside, it says that she hopes that I am the stone in the shoe of George Bush. That is a delightful conceit. Charming. What I want to do today is about 15 things as usual. I do wish I'd get focused, but I want to be sure and talk a little bit about the movie Cold Mountain. Just in case you're looking for a film, in case you need to. Rest and calm your mind after the holidays. I hope your holidays were holy, uh, or at le- least that they were fun. Uh, anyway, uh, I-, I hope that those of us who uh, still keep the faith, uh, those of us who believe that life is a uh, a quest, um, a search for something, something uh, in the way of... Um, Truth and Beauty, uh, uh, I think we can appreciate the movie Cold Mountain. I, I, first of all, I used Don Quixote, uh, while I was on my vacation to think about that. My younger son gave his brother a copy of the new translation by Edith Grossman. And that's all about, you know, the, the quest, the knight's quest. I recommend to you the, um, the James Woods article in The Current New Yorker. It's in the 22 December New Yorker, all about uh, the new translation of uh, Don Quixote. Uh, It's, oh, let's see, it's all about the sacred profanity of Don Quixote. And as you know, Don Quixote is the longest novel in existence, just about, that's why I love it, because for an existentialist, there's nothing... As cheerful as a book that never ends, you know. <laughs> you don't have to think about the ending, the outcome. We all know he dies in the end. Yes, that's the end of every story. But um, the path is what counts. The journey is what counts. And the notion that, you know, sometimes it's uphill, sometimes it's downhill. Uh, I guess, what is that? Um, I guess that's what it's all about. Uh Anyway. The premise that we do learn through suffering is put forth in the movie Cold Mountain. It's a bit romantic, let's face it. Uh, I refer you to the article in last Sunday's Chronicle by the son of Ron Dellums, which addresses the fact that slavery is not dealt with in this movie about the Civil War. I leave it to you to decide whether you think that was Fair or not, the New Yorker of 22 December says that the issue of slavery is barely mentioned, black people are few and far between, and that Cold Mountain is strange in this way. Um, one could point out that there weren't many slaves in the Plantation Free Mountains, that's the Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, but that isn't quite a sufficient answer Um we never know, for instance, what the boys of Cold Mountain are running off to fight for and what uh, the central character in Jude Law, what he means when he says he was lied to. I think I do. We all know, yes, why they died. Their fathers lied. We all know that line. But the New Yorker says the absence is a flaw but not a critical one. Hmm. I leave it uh, for you to decide. What I like about the film is that... Uh, it shows that collateral damage is what war is all about. Um, and, um, I think, uh, I think this is probably this year's Oscar picture, even with all of its obvious flaws, uh, the point is that we do learn through suffering, we do evolve and change, some of us, of course, some of us are simply destroyed, um, the capacity for love evolves in some of these characters. It's, um, it's not a happy picture. It's, um, what is the word for that? Um, it's righteous. It's set during the Civil War, 1861 to 1864. There in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, of course, the picture was filmed in Eastern Europe. <laughs> so we've got some economic determinism here, folks. Ah, it was made abroad, obviously, to save money. So, if you are a um, person who's serious about labor, you may think that 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 already disqualifies the film as a progressive effort, but go figure, anyway. It's made with the best intentions. It has some Hollywood formula, but uh, there's also... A lot of stuff that I liked, the feminism is positively folksy. For example, Renee Zellweger's declaration that the men are the ones to blame for the war, the civil war between the states. She says at one point that, you know, the people or people say that the war is a cloud over the land and then the storm breaks and the men stand around complaining that it's raining. Right, yes, we all know that shtick, of course. Oh, uh, she's got that one right. Uh, if you look at the war today, the war in Iraq, created by our own leaders who now complain of the effects of their crimes, you see that nothing has changed in that regard. Um, <laughs> indeed, yes, collateral damage is what it's all about. In the movie Cold Mountain, Renee Zellweger's daddy is this ne'er-do-well. She has no use for this guy, but... We are shown that he is lovable and a sweet human being, after all. And, of course, when his life is threatened, she comes through. He is saved, sort of, by his music, by his fiddle. Yes, indeed, music can save us, can save some of us. The filmmakers, I think, might have used even more of the ethnic music, the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, indeed, Americana. They focus, the filmmakers focus on this fallout from the war. You know, the, the notion that the local vigilantes, the home guards, so-called, are a much greater danger to the locals than the Union army, same as it is in Iraq. You know, your neighbor is a greater threat to you than um, the major oppressor. I will uh, deviate here for just a minute, give you a footnote if you have a copy of the Nation magazine for December 29th, I'll recommend to you a grim article called Women Under Siege. Uh, it's a picture here of a woman looking through a slat in her door, afraid to go out because her neighbors are now as great a threat to her as the state. Obviously, women have gone from a state of siege to a reign of terror here of uh, women kidnapped and so forth and thrown around um, women's lives being less important than a nice car here uh-huh. check that one out if you are interested in the horrors of war and its aftermath uh, actually in the picture in Cold Mountain um, what I liked well the daily survival seems to be in the hands of the women for the most part and I think that uh, That's pretty reasonable, good feminist film for the young women. One of my favorite actresses, Eileen Atkins, a British actor famous for her portrayals of Virginia Woolf, mostly. She has a star turn as an old mountain woman. Um, The New Yorker calls her witchy. That's a wicca or wise woman. She's a healer. She lives with her goats in the forest. Um, (laughs) The little vignette or scene that she has with Jude Law is almost separate from the rest of the film very special he's a confederate deserter and uh, yes he's the one who learns the most from his experience the war uh, he thinks has destroyed his soul but of course it has made him uh, a feeling and sensitive human being anyway is saved and he can go home to Nicole Kidman. His life is saved. Nicole Kidman has been transformed by the war and the fallout, the poverty, the uh, ruin of her uh, land, her farm. Her father is a clergyman. He dies and she has to do the farm work. Um, Renee Zellweger's character, Ruby, joins with her on the farm but not as a servant, more or less as a partner now, this is kind of a hippie uh, hippie uh, ideal here could be um, and maybe um, maybe there's some validity in that, perhaps there were folks whose merit won them a place at the table and a decent share of the goods anyway, the picture is worth seeing, I think, for the sheer beauty of the landscapes, what we call the uh, verisimilitude of the historical stuff. The couple of wonderful scenes in church um, that seemed authentic, what do I know, but uh, there were several small details that I had read about that they tried to tuck into the film. I wanted to see it in the theater to get the full effect. Uh, the snow, the black crows, the 19th century moods and manners and... Uh, the terrible, terrible reticence of the two lovers, the way in which they were incapable of relating to each other. They barely know each other, and they spend four years uh, waiting to meet again. Not bad at all. There were a few anachronisms in the picture, but, you know, uh, filmmakers just can't resist some of this stuff. And Oh, and they always... <laughs> these guys... Always want to put in the violent explosions that recall apocalypse. Now you know the one. You know the smell of napalm in the morning, where they they go all the way across the screen. Kaboom! 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 The Union Army apparently has planted explosives underneath the ground, and we have this um, rip roaring shock and awe moment. War horrors, the mud, the blood, and um, lone white horse in the midst. Mostly, I liked the um, little details, the historical uh, moments. The characters, they're walking home over the mountain and they can see the stars, unlike today, you know. They could see the stars so plainly visible in the sky and one of them can even name the constellations. Now, we could still do that, I think, in the 1940s, even near the city. Nowadays, you have to go... So very, very far just to see a star. To see it clearly, you have to be way, way out in the woods, um, anywhere near the city, and it's gone. But, yeah, no, it was the little things, just the little bits and pieces uh, that I liked. Uh It's still, it's not, to, to me, this year's film, this year's uh, screen experiences, Angels in America, but that is because of... The playwright, uh, the language. Uh, the movie, movie, the richest, I think, has to be Cold Mountain. Just for the beautiful, the beautiful visuals. Uh, I would suggest, yes, not only that you read Ron Dellum's article in Last Sunday's Chronicle, but check out the one about the daughter of Strom, Thurman, a scandal that has come to light now that Strom Thurman has left us a a century, a century of that guy in Congress. And as uh, one of our kind apprentices was saying earlier to me today, imagine if that woman, if Strom Thurman's daughter, had spoken up at any time during his lifetime, how history might have changed, been changed all of us think about these things. Um oh, ho, 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 Not to get, not to get too upset about that. Um, anyway, as I say, I'm still trying to get my head together after my trip to Texas. Um, I got there, I think, um, on the 17th, and on the 18th, I was privileged to see my little step-grandson in a play called Once Upon a Housetop at a Montessori uh, school that was a wonderful play in which he played the head chimney sweep in a multicultural Christmas play. I was thrilled. The a bit was the very best. <laughs> yes, it was charming. The world does make progress. Folks, a bit at a time, one step at a time. Uh, Ready or not, folks, here comes the future. I think by the time my visit was over, I had contented myself mostly with the bookstores and the antique stores. That's about all I'm good for. I found a little place in McKinney, Texas, and for 99 cents, I got a copy of the Penguin Book of Love Poetry. And I picked it up and I thought, well, I'll just take this book home and I'll use this when I get back to KPFA because I don't have a wise word to say about the state of Texas. Not one, folks, except that they're still eating beef. Plenty of it, I tell you. <laughs> Plenty of healthy beef left in this state. Here it is. Walt Whitman, folks. Ah, as Tony Kushner writes in Angels in America, remember always that the body is the garden of the soul. You remember, Whitman wrote, I sing the body electric. I always say, I sing the body eclectic. America. What a place, Walt Whitman writes, from pent-up aching rivers, from that of myself without which I were nothing, from what I am determined to make illustrious, even if I stand soul among men, from my own voice resonant singing the phallus, singing the song of procreation, singing the need of superb children and therein superb grown people, singing the muscular urge and the blending, singing the bedfellows' song, oh, resistless yearning, oh, for any and each, the body correlative attracting, oh, for you, whoever you are, Your callative body. Oh, it, more than all else, you delighting. From the hungry gnaw that eats me night and day. From native moments, from bashful pains, singing them. Singing something yet unfound, though I have diligently sought it. Many a long year. Singing the true song of the soul, Fitful at random, Singing what to the soul, Entirely redeemed her, The faithful one. Even the prostitute who detained me When I went to the city, Singing the song of prostitutes. Renascent with grossest nature, or among animals, of that of them and what goes with them, my poems informing of the smell of apples and lemons, of the paring of birds, of the wet of woods. Of the lapping of waves, of the mad pushes, of waves upon the land. I, them, chanting. The overture lightly sounding. The strain anticipating. The welcome nearness, the sight of the perfect body. The swimmer swimming naked in the bath. Or motionless on his back. Lying and floating. The female form. Approaching. I, Pensive. Love flesh tremulous. Aching. The divine list. For myself or you. Or for anyone. Making the face. The limbs. The index from head to foot. And what it arouses the mystic deliria, the madness amorous, the utter abandonment. Hark, close and still, what I now whisper to you, I, love, you, oh, you entirely possess me. Oh, I wish that you and I escape from the rest and go utterly off, oh, free and lawless, Two hawks in the air, two fishes swimming in the sea, no more lawless than we. The furious storm through me careering, I passionately trembling. The oath of the inseparableness of two together, of the woman that loves me and whom I love more than my life. That oath swearing, oh, I willingly stake all for you. Oh, let me be lost if it must be so. Oh, you and I, what is it to us what the rest do or think? What is all else to us, only that we enjoy each other? and exhaust each other, if it must be so. From the master, the pilot, I yield the vessel to, the general commanding me, commanding all. From him, permission taking. From time, the program hastening. I have loitered too long, as it is. From sex, from the warp, and from the woof, To talk to the perfect girl who understands me. To waft to her these from my own lips, To effuse them from my own body, From privacy, from frequent repinings alone, From plenty of persons near, Yet the right person not near, From the soft sliding of hands over me and thrusting of fingers through my hair and beard, from the long-sustained kiss upon the mouth or bosom, from the close pressure that makes me or any man drunk, fainting with excess, from what the divine husband knows, from the work of fatherhood, from exultation, victory, and relief, from the bedfellows embrace in the night. From the act poems of eyes, hands, hips, and bosoms. From the cling of the trembling arm. From the bending curve and the clinch. From side by side the pliant coverlid overthrowing. From the one... So unwilling to have me leave, and me just as unwilling to leave, Yet a moment, O tender waiter, and I return From the hour of shining stars and dropping dews. From the night, a moment, I emerging, flitting out. Celebrate you, act divine, and you children prepared for, and you, stalwart, lines. Ah, yes, indeed. I was looking for the last four lines. Yes, ah, my favorite four lines. Let's see if I can just remember them. We all know them. I read to you from Walt Whitman, yes. And I cannot find, yes, ah, that my love were in my arms, and I in my bed again, yes, the small rain down can rain, and I've forgotten the very first line, western wind, when wilt thou blow, that the small rain down can rain, Christ, if my love were in my arms, and I in my bed again, the ultimate love poem of all time, folks. The Penguin Book of Love Poetry, which I found for 99 cents in an antique store. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till Thursday at 820, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. We know the predator. We see them feed on us. We are aware to starve the beast is our destiny. My two sisters and brothers. We the world, the the world. Roots Communications On the Great Turtle Island On KPFA or KPFB in Berkeley KFCF in Fresno Late Night Fridays 2 a.m. to 6 a.m voice is catching up, voice is catching up, watch out child, watch out child, Babylon falling down, falling down.